I am Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, writing this letter to all those who are followers of Christ. Defend the faith, guard your hearts, and cherish the gift of salvation that was given to you. Be wary of those who are misrepresenting God's word. Our Lord Jesus told us that they will cause division, confusion, and participate in their own destruction. Keep up your guard. Build up your faith by hearing and obeying God's word. Pray in the spirit and rely on God's love and mercy. Show love and care for those who do not yet know Jesus. Be tender with unbelievers, but not soft on sin. Remember, this life in Christ is the real, unending life. And now to him who keeps us safe, our amazing Jesus, all glory, majesty, power, and authority are his, both now and forevermore. Well, have you noticed how the platform has changed? And even walking maybe down Main Street, it looks like a jungle here. And it, the reason is because Vacation Bible School starts tomorrow. Yes, over 2,000 children will converge on this property. And yea, God, for the five or 600 adults, that will accompany them. And we will have all these people all week long. It's going to be so much fun. VBS begins tomorrow. What you heard on the video is true. We are in a new series entitled uh, Jude, Keeping Up Our Guard. We're going through the book of Jude together. And one of the things that Jude wants us to learn is to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false in every aspect of our life. A few years ago, I got a telephone call from the IRS. And the telephone call was, you owe back taxes, and we are tired of waiting for you, and we want that money right now. So get out your bank card or give us your checking account number, and we're going to get those back taxes from you. The only problem was is that I already knew I didn't owe any back taxes, and this doesn't sound like IRS protocol, does it? So I said to the person, you know what, I don't think you're the IRS. I think you're a thief. Oh, he got so mad at me, and he powered up, and he said, within 24 hours, if you don't give us this money, you will be in jail. And I said to him, you know what, it might be you in jail because you forgot to block your number, and now I have your telephone number. And immediately he hung up the phone. <laughs> And did you know only about a year or so ago came out this story that there was an IRS scam and that 4,550 American families fell for it and lost an accumulated $23 million. Yeah. I do have good news for you, though, because I have discovered that I have inherited $10 million. I am blown away. I am so excited, I don't know what to think. And the most amazing thing is I've inherited $10 million from a woman in Nigeria that has never met me. I've never met her. I don't know anything about this person. And though she doesn't know me, she likes me so much, she left $10 million for me. 
I learned this by email, and the nice guy that wrote me and told me about it, he said that if I would just give him my information about my checking account, he would gladly deposit it into my checking account. What a nice guy. I've also gotten an email from the king of Saudi Arabia. Who would have known that he would have known about me? And he said, I need your help. I don't know how I get, my name is out there. I don't know why. But he said to me, I need your help. Well, I want to help him. I've thought to myself several times that I would love to have a conversation with the king of Saudi Arabia because I would say to him, you keep putting so much oil out there that it's driving down the price, and I got members in my church that are in oil and gas, and they can't afford that. But I chose not to write him back. And just last week, as it turns out, the FBI found a guy, arrested a guy in Florida pretending to be the king of Saudi Arabia. And he had scammed $8 million from Americans. Yeah. And last week, last week I got a telephone call telling me that my warranty for Microsoft software on my computer had expired. And if I don't re-up the warranty, my computer will no longer work. The only problem is I don't have a warranty on Microsoft software. It just comes with the computer. There's no warranty on it. And my computer's doing just fine. All these, these things, these stories I've told you are absolutely true. And in fact, did you know I was in Walmart just a few days ago, and when I gave her the $20 bill, she scanned it with a little pin, and I know she was testing to see if it was counterfeit or not. And I said to her, if that isn't a real $20 bill, my bank has some explaining to do. And then I realized, well, I'll have some explaining to do too. <laughs> All these stories are true. And this next story is true that I want to tell you. And I know it's true because I read it on the Internet. And anything on the Internet, you know. I really do believe this, this is true. This, what happened, it, this happened on January the 28th of 2001 in a little town called Danville, Kentucky. I have never been there. But in Danville, Kentucky, there was a man who was going through, driving through the drive-through of a Dairy Queen. And he must have ordered, it was only $2.12, so he must have ordered a Coke or an ice cream cone or something. And he handed the cashier a $200 bill. I'm impressed. $200 bill. I've never seen a $200 bill before. And the reason is because it doesn't exist, actually. But this one existed, and this is what it looked like. This is the actual $200 bill that, that he gave to her. This is the $200 bill. There is George W. Bush on the front, and here's the back. And it is the lawn of the back of the White House, and it's got some signs on it. And one of them says, U.S. deserves a tax cut. Another one, no more scandals. And the third one, we like broccoli. Look, I mean, wouldn't that be the dead giveaway? We like broccoli. I do like broccoli, but it's not going to be on a $200 bill. And so...
the cashier gave to the man $197.88. She did. But she got in the paper as a result, and on the internet, it's the con job. It's the con job that causes Jude to write the book of Jude. What Jude wants us to understand is that everywhere we are, there are people who are coming to us that are fakes, that are frauds, and especially when it comes to God. And Jude saw this happening and was compelled by the Holy Spirit to write this book to us. The book of Jude is only 25 verses. It's only one chapter. It's one of the smallest books in the Bible. And yet he packs such a punch. Verses 5, we're going to look at verse 4 to 13, but verses 5 to 13, all of these verses with all the descriptors, all the descriptors really point to verse 11. Verse 11 is the key verse in the entire passage of Scripture. All the descriptors in the other verses point to this key verse. And so I've asked my Jude, my grandson Jude, if he would come and read verse 11 of Jude for us. Jude verse 11. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit to Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. What a great job, Jude. Thank you so much. So clear. This passage of Scripture is all about the con job and keeping up our guard. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, and he didn't come to faith in Christ until the resurrection. But then Jude, as a follower of Jesus Christ, begins to see what's happening in some of the churches that he encounters. And he sees fakes and frauds coming and attacking the church from the outside, coming and attacking the church from the inside, and he warns us. And that's what he's doing in this passage of Scripture. The first thing that Jude teaches us is we must contend for the faith. Our faith is worth defending. Look at what he says in Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. Jude is saying it's not good enough just to come to know Christ as Savior. You've got to grow in your spiritual life. It's not good enough to know a few Bible stories and know a handful of things about the Bible. You've got to understand what God teaches, the deeper truths of God in His Word. The Greek word Jude uses here for contend means to protect, to defend the biblical doctrines of our faith. Doctrine is simply a word that, that means the truths of of the Bible. I've actually had people that have said to me, oh, I don't want to hear about the doctrines of the Bible. Just teach me the practical truths of the Bible. But people that say that don't really understand what they're talking about. 
The doctrines of the Bible are those foundational stones in our life that gives us peace, that gives us security, that gives us the, the sense of confidence that we need when we face the hard times, the, the difficult times of our life. Who is God the Father? Who is Jesus Christ? Who is the Holy Spirit of God? How is it that we come to know God? What is the source of our salvation? Who are we? What does God say about us? What does God say about the return of Jesus Christ? What does God say about how it is that we should live our lives? These are all the doctrines of the faith, and you and I need to be grounded strong in that foundation. And this is what Jude is saying to us, whatever you do, get into the Word of God. He is saying that our faith is not just that we believe in God, but is what we believe about God based entirely on the Bible and not public opinion. Jude is saying, don't compromise what is true in the Bible about God. And he is telling us how it is that we are to live our lives. These truths are too important to let them slip by us. So the question is, how is it, if we're to contend for the faith, how is it that we're to contend for the faith? And the first point is this, take the time to learn what the Bible actually teaches. Did you know there's not a day goes by that I don't spend some time in God's Word? There is not a day that goes by that I don't either read some of the passages of the Bible or I listen on a Bible app to some of those passages. Why? Because I'm still growing. I need to hear what God says. And every time I listen to the Bible or I read the Bible, I learn new things that I did not know. God burns new truths into my heart. And I'm telling you that every single one of us need to spend time in God's Word. Every day we live and we have not been in the Word of God, we are starving our spiritual life. We are not going to the next level, and God is calling us to do it. When a, a business owner that has a business where the employees handle dollars, they receive the dollar bills or $20 or $100 or $200 bills, when they have money that passes the hands of their employees, they train their employees. They train their employees so that their employees will not be conned like this gal was conned at the Dairy Queen. And when they train their employees, they don't show them different counterfeit bills because there is a never endless supply of different creative counterfeit bills. They show them the real bills. They give them a real $1 bill and $5 and $20 and $100 bills. They show them the real money and they take them through. Here are the intricacies of a real bill. Because if you know what a real bill looks like, you will immediately notice when something is out of place. You will immediately notice that something is wrong. And the truth of that statement is true about the Bible as well. The more we know of God's Word, the immediately when we have some counterfeit doctrine, we have some counterfeit teaching, we have something that is dead wrong about God. Somebody is trying to con us 
spiritually, we will immediately know that's counterfeit. That's not true because we know God's Word. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 puts it this way, but solid food of the Bible is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. What God is saying, I want you to spend the time and train yourselves by being in the Word of God so you know what is true and what is false. The second thing that we must do if we're going to contend for the faith is that when someone attempts to abuse the truth of the Bible in a loving way, in a loving way, speak up in defense of God's Word. Listen to what the Bible says in Jude chapter 1 verse 4. He says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. I'm telling you it's as though Jude was writing in the 21st century and not the 1st century. He is describing what is happening in America in churches right now. He is describing what is taking place on pressure of churches by the LGBTQ community. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You and I need to be loving and kind toward all people. It doesn't make any difference what their lifestyle is, how close they are to God, or how far away they are from God. Jesus Christ taught us that we are to be loving and kind and gracious toward all people. No matter what their religion, no matter what their background, no matter what their orientation, we are to be loving and kind toward all people. But at the same time we're to be loving and kind, we are to stand for the truth of the Word of God. We're to stand for the truth. And you and I can be loving of all people and kind toward all people and stand for the truth at the same time. And the LGBTQ community is a prime example today. The Bible says that this orientation is sinful. In several passages in the Old Testament, in several passages in the New Testament, there is no doubt whatsoever. There is no question of what the Bible teaches. And what the Bible teaches was not just true for the first century, it's true for the 21st century as well. There is a person that is uh, a gentleman that's running for president of, for 2020, and he is a mayor of a city. I've forgotten the name of the city. I can't pronounce his last name, but he seems like a nice guy. I have listened to him several times, and uh, I, the best I know, he's been a good mayor. I don't know any different, but... Uh, and I've tried to listen to some of the things that he has said. I want to know what his thoughts are as well as all the other candidates. But he made a, a statement the other day that crossed over from politics to religion. And now he's in my territory. And what he said was, was totally false. I've done this with every president that we've ever had. When he makes a statement that crosses over about, about the Bible and about theology, you're in my turf now, and I'm going to make a correction about that if it's wrong. And this guy made a statement. He said that God has so much love and so much grace that he does not care 
what a person's lifestyle choices are, that everyone is welcome by God into his family. That is actually not true. There is an amazing amount of love of God, an amazing amount of grace of God. But did you read what I just read that Jude said? Jude said, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way, wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows them to live immoral lives, and that is not true. He has grace. He has love. But he has told us what is right and wrong, and he has told us that he'll hold us accountable for it. And that includes the lifestyle that this gentleman is talking about. He is talking about it because he is a member of that lifestyle. At the same time, when heterosexual couples are living in a relationship unmarried, that is just as wrong. Cohabitation sexually is just as wrong. We're not going to dilute the Word of God to accommodate this culture. But here's what I want to say. Are people of the LGBTQ community welcome to attend our services? You bet. And in fact, I wish they would all come. Are people that are living in, in a, uh, a sexual relationship outside of marriage welcome to attend our services? You bet. And I wish they all in this region would come. I want to teach God's Word to them. I want to share with, with every person what the Bible says, and we will love them and be respectful and be kind, but we will never compromise this book. We will never compromise this book. So there it is. So listen to what Jude says. He says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into our churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people are recorded, were recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. To deny the Word of God, to deny the Word of God is to deny Jesus Christ who the Bible says is the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the, only, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But when we encounter individuals as this, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respectfulness, because this is the heart of Jesus Christ. Great and godly men and women for the last 2,000 years have been imprisoned and have died in their faith in Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. And may we be found just as faithful today. In 1555, from 50 to 1558, over the, those four years, over 300 Protestant reformers were burned at the stake because they stood up to Queen Mary of England and said, we believe the Bible and we will de not deny the Word of God. And may we be found just as faithful in the 21st century. Today, there are more Christians being imprisoned for their faith than at any other time in Christian history. If you want to know who these people are, 
If you want the straight scoop about individuals who are suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ, more today than at any other time in Christian history, I want to encourage you, go to the website I put in your notes called The Voice of the Martyrs. Go and read it. Go on that website and you will read names and you will read individual stories about those people that are in prison and are suffering for the cause of Christ today. I hope that you'll take the time and go to the voice of the martyrs. May we be found as faithful. Now, what is it that we are to guard against? Well, listen to what Jude 1 verse 11 says. What sorrow awaits them. For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceived people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. What he is telling us is the names of three people from the Old Testament. And all of these deceivers are like these people. That's what Jude is saying. They have the same motivation. They say have the same heart as three, these three characters from the Old Testament. So who are they? Well, the first one is Cain. Cain sacrificed obedience to God for moral relativism. In the beginning, God formed Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had a son, and his name was Cain. And they had another son, and his name was Abel. And when these two men reached, our boys reached adulthood, God came to them and said, I want you to sacrifice unto me. And he prescribed exactly what they were to sacrifice to him. And Abel did exactly what God said. And Cain did his own thing. Cain decided, I've got a better way than God has. I will do it the way I want to do it. And God honored Abel's sacrifice, and God rejected Cain's sacrifice. And when Cain saw that God had rejected his sacrifice, he became angry, and he became angry at his brother because God had accepted his sacrifice, and out of jealousy, he killed his brother. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own actions were evil, and his brother's actions were righteous. Where Cain failed was instead of doing what God told him to do, he did what was easier. Where Cain failed is that he decided to take the easier route. I'll do it the way I want to do it. He failed in moral relativism that our country is experiencing today. Well, it may have been wrong in the past, but it's not wrong now. Those people in the first century didn't understand what we understand today. They didn't actually mean what they said in the Bible. And now what was wrong is right. Let me tell you something. The way of guarding against the, the way of Cain is to obey God's word instead of giving in to the culture around you. When we choose to call right wrong and wrong right, we are being exactly like Cain. But when we choose to obey the word of God, no matter what others do around us, even if it means standing alone for right, 
We will always have the blessing of God on our lives, and eventually we'll always come out on top. It may be that we don't come out on top immediately, but eventually we'll always come out on top. Kathy and I, when we were raising our two sons, as they were small, one of the goals that we had is that we wanted to raise them to have the moral fiber strength to do the right thing no matter what anybody else was doing. We wanted the opportunity for these two boys to grow up in such a way that even if they had to stand alone, they would stand for right. So along the pathway, there are just natural things that came up, and we allowed them to go through times in which every one of their friends did something else other than them because we wanted them to learn how to do the right thing even if they had to stand alone for right. And there were other times we even created situations in which they would be put in a position. Why? Because all of our lives, we're going to have to live this way. And there's so many people that grow up and they don't have the moral strength and courage to be willing to go against the flow. What happened in both of our boys is they grew up to be men who were willing to stand for right even if they had to stand alone. I want to encourage every parent, as you are raising your children, teach them how to do this. It's the only way they're going to survive in the next 50 years in this country. Trust me, I'm telling you the truth. What Cain did is he yielded to moral relativism, to the call of those around him, to whatever was the source of his temptation, and he disobeyed God. The second character is Balaam. He compromised his core convictions because he was greedy. His problem was greed. In the story of Numbers chapter 22 to 24, Israel has now come almost to the end of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They're getting close to the promised land. All they've got to do is go through the land, the country called Moab at that time, and they would arrive to the shores of the promised land. They had gone through already other nations. And every time Moses would send a letter to that king and say, look, we mean you no harm. We must pass through your nation in order to get to where we're going. So if you would mark out a path for us to go, we will go across that path, and we will not wander to the left or the right. But every time those kings said, I don't trust you, no, I'm not letting you into my country, and so they began to go through. They had to go through, and when they began to go through, those kings would rise up to fight them, and every time God would deliver the people of Israel, and they would defeat those kings. Over and over that had happened, and so when they come to the country of Moab, Balak, who's the king of that country, says, I'm not taking any chances here. And he goes, he says, I, we're not strong enough to defeat these Israelites, so what we're going to do, I'm going to a prophet named Balaam, and I'm going to ask Balaam to bring down curses upon the Israelites. But every time he tried to bring down a curse on the Israelites, God changed it to a blessing. Every single time, God changed it to a blessing. And then Balaam came up with the idea, and he said this, if you will parade all your good-looking 
young gals in front of these Israelite men. They will sin before God and God will punish them. And that's exactly what that king did. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. And God punished them. But God also punished Moab and the nation of Moab and Balaam. So what is the bottom line issue? Why did he bring up Balaam in the passage? The issue is greed. The issue is greed. So is greed an issue in your heart? How much of you are willing to compromise your own heart and maybe your family at the altar of greed? How far will you get? You go to get more things? What character will you give up to be promoted? What casualties are you willing to have in your life because of greed? The way of Balaam is materialism. And we face this all the time in this country. The temptation of materialism. There was, in January of 1848, a man named James Marshall. Here is a picture of James Marshall. And he owned some land that was right on the river, right outside of Sacramento. And while he was building a sawmill right there on that river, all of a sudden he discovered gold. Can you believe it? He looked, he saw this shiny stuff, he picked it up, and as it turns out, it was gold. And within a matter of a few days of it being discovered that there was gold in that river, tens of thousands of men uh, came to begin trying to gather up all the gold they could. And before it was all over, 300,000 had come to that river trying to pan for gold. It was called the California Gold Rush. All of these people came, and the end result was a cost of over 100,000 Native American, Native American Indian lives that were altered because of this gold rush. Tens of thousands of Native Americans were killed as a result of the greed. And another tens of thousands of Native Americans had to flee for their lives and had to move from their land, all because of the greed of all these people trying to get the gold. So many people believe that money is the root of all happiness, but the truth is all of the studies have shown exactly the opposite. We get a certain amount of money, and it, is, it, it, brings, it helps us meet all of our needs and buy the things we need, but what all the studies have shown is that when you surpass that, your level of happiness does not increase. You can buy more stuff, but your level of happiness does not increase. And in fact, the more money than you get, you reach a place in which actually the money becomes a curse. Not in every situation, not in every family, not in every, in, in every individual, but in most. What the studies have shown is that it is the source of broken families. It is the source of worry and fear. It is the source of the absence of happiness to have more money than we actually need. The studies have been done on those who win the lottery. 
And I don't mean a few dollars at the lottery. I'm talking about those guys who win tens of, of millions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars at the lottery. And the studies have shown, and it's in the 90%, 90s percentile, that those who win the lottery within 10 years are bankrupt. How in the world could they possibly be bankrupt? I mean, they got hundreds of millions of dollars in this lottery. In the 90 percentiles, those who win the lottery with the big dollars within 10 years are bankrupt. They have less money than they had when they, they, before they won the lottery. And in addition, there are members of their family that are now dead 10 years later that were, are dead simply because of the money. Maybe they were murdered, maybe they overdosed on drugs, maybe they were killed in accidents of things that were bought that they shouldn't have had. Whatever the reason, in the 90 percentiles, they will lose family members within 10 years all because of the money. And almost every single one of these families are now divorced at the end of 10 years. The money has become a curse. Greed always turns out to be a curse. And it's greed that Jude is talking about. The way to guard against the way of Balaam is generosity. It is loosening our grip on things and our stuff and our money and to use what we have to bless others. And it's amazing how much good our money will bring if we'll just be generous instead of greedy. Moral relativism and greediness. The third is Korah. He led a rebellion because he wanted to be in control. Numbers chapter 16 describes the story, but in a nutshell, here it is. Korah was actually a relative of Moses and Aaron. He was from the tribe of Levi. God picked Moses to be the leader. He picked Aaron to be the high priest. He didn't pick Korah. And Korah was resentful. And just at the moment that Moses and Aaron had a point of weakness, a time of weakness, not of them, but a weak moment in the leadership, Korah suddenly emerges out of nowhere, and he leads leadership against Moses and against Aaron. And 15,000 people follow him. And Moses goes to God and says, God, what do I do? And God says, stand aside, and I'll show you what I'll do. And he opens up the earth, and he swallows up Korah and the 15,000 people that followed him. And then the earth closes back up again. And I'm saying, wow. If the, the way of Cain is moral relativism and the way of Balaam is materialism, the way of Korah is entitlement. I deserve to be in charge. I will push others aside and get my way. I deserve to get what I want. I deserve to be first. The way of Korah is a hunger for power stemming from pride. 
And it's the very point Judah's making in Jude chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But these people scoff at things they don't understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own harm. The way of guarding against the way of Korah is humility. God, I humble myself to you. I humble myself under those you've given in authority of me. And I humble myself to consider the interest of others above my own interest. It's called humility. And here's what Jude is telling us. Be on guard. Be on guard of your life. Be on guard of moral relativism because this culture will push you, push you in that direction. Be on guard against greed in your life. Be on guard against pride in your life. Because these three things will damage and even destroy your life. And these three things can damage and destroy even our church. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of this passage and the right in our face of this passage. And God, may we rise above these temptations in our life. And may you use us and lead us. And may we follow you with all of our heart. Now, Father, I pray for those in this room that do not know Jesus that today would be the day of their salvation. Those in this room that are not members of this church but should be, and there's a sense in their heart, this church feels like home, that, Father, you would lead them to now join this church today. And, God, I pray for those that just are in need of prayer, that, Father, you'd speak to their heart and that we would be able to minister to them. And I pray this in Jesus' name today.